Welcome back to Transformative Teaching, a facet at IU podcast. I am Katie Metz, and I'm really excited to be here today with my co-host, Michael Maroney. Say hi, Michael. Hey, everybody. How are you doing out there? And I'm really excited to be here with you, Katie. And I'm also excited that we're here with Miranda Rodak, who is facet class of 2020. Miranda, hi. How are you doing? Hi, big class of 2020 shout out. Woo-hoo. Yay, woo. Miranda, you're a clinical assistant professor and the director of undergraduate teaching in the Department of English, which is in the college, as we call it, College of Arts and Sciences here at IU Bloomington. And Michael and I are really excited to have you on for personal reasons because all three of us were in CPCS, Com- Communication Professional and Computer Skills at the Kelly School at this for a brief amount of time at the same time. So it's personally exciting to see you again to get to chat with you about teaching. I know so many layers. So, so many all, all the time, all of them, Michael, I know that you are dying to ask Miranda some really important questions about her teaching philosophy to start off. So I'm just going to let you get at it. You know me too well. I, I do. It's, it's a good, bad thing, right? Yeah. Um, so Miranda, I love this line in your teaching philosophy where you say students don't take my class. They make it. I love that line. Um, and and wh- what is it that they are making? How, how are they making? Uh, what are you doing to make to make it so they are making instead of taking your class? I think the line is even um, they don't take my class. They make it with me. And the with me is really important to me. And if it's not actually in the teaching philosophy, it should be. Uh, I'm going to add it because you you deleted that. (laughs) I may have. It's been through several iterations. As any good writer knows, you iterate multiple times. Um, And so, yeah, one of the most important things to me in my teaching and the way that I approach the classroom is to see it as a dynamic learning space. And I always try to model for my students uh, the idea that we're all learners for our entire lives. And that that means every day that I'm with them, I'm learning as much from them, from the experience, from what we're doing together. And so I try, especially, this has become much more intentional um, ever since I saw uh, Marianne Winklemus came to Indianapolis and, and gave a talk about TILT and it really blew my mind. And it took something I was already doing sort of instinctually, which was inviting my students to be part of the infrastructure of the course at every step. And it gave me a new lens for really thinking about that more intentionally and trying to make every step of what we do every day in that classroom as visible and as transparent to them as possible. And what that means is inviting them to be co-participants with me in building a learning experience. So we're guided, I'm not guiding them. We are together guided by the learning outcomes, what our goals are together. And then each day we have a plan and we go at it together, but I let them know at every sort of moment along the path in each individual class, that we can always shift and move and go in a different direction based on what they're bringing into that space. That Again, that, that space is dynamic. And so when I say they're so, making so it with me. How often does that happen where like you have, yeah. end up with a shift in a, in a class? Uh, often. In fact, it just happened a couple of days ago and I try um, to narrate when it's happening for the students so that they know that we're moving in a different direction than I had intended. And so they know that that's, that's not just okay, but that I'm excited about that. And so I'll say, I forget what I had on the agenda that day, but we were, I had like sort of three bullet point things we were going to do. We were trying to sort of transition from the first to the second. And then some answers that the students were offering in our discussion, 
it really opened up this new vista. And I thought, well, that's way more important. And I said, you know, out loud in that moment, wow, what I really wanted us to do right now was to switch to a group work activity where we were going to do X, I forget what it was. Um, but but what, what you've just said, you know, uh, and I named the students who had sort of been contributing at that moment, what you've just said, you know, is sending us this different direction. I think we should pursue that. What do you think? And they were like, yeah, yeah. So we scrapped the, the group work activity and then we kind of had a, a different discussion based on those parameters. And so they were seeing that we were making mm -hmm. the learning happen together. That's Miranda, cool. Miranda cool. Th this brings up an interesting point because, you know, on this podcast and FACET in general, there's a wide variety of disciplines covered in, in teaching philosophies. And, yeah. and I think what you're doing sounds so awesome. But my first instinct would be, how can I do that in a class where I'm just teaching numbers or a STEM based class, which is one of those, you know, um, sometimes I feel like the, those subjects tend to feel a little bit more boxed in in terms of what we have to get done to um, get to our learning outcomes. So could you give some advice to people like me who think this is super cool, but have a really hard time envisioning it in a class where there are hard and fast rules or um, specific yeah. things we need to accomplish in order to get to the next day or might feel pressured to do that? Yeah. I think that's such a good uh, and important question to constantly be asking ourselves about that kind of the transferability of what we do to different classrooms and different disciplines and and we're all colleagues together and so helping you know as colleagues reminding each other we don't all do the same thing yeah we have definitely pressures on our pedagogy and so um i think that, that you're right to point out and I, I the language i would use around this is my courses are often not a specific content course yes in the way that like katie your accounting courses are very much of a specific content that has to get delivered Whereas mine are often more skills-based heuristics type courses. There are certain skills you have to learn how to do, but we can get at those skills with different kinds yes. of content. So I can kind of follow yeah. my students. I have a more flexible kind of roadmap that I can. That's exactly what I was getting at. As somebody who who feels like, for better or for worse, you have to go yeah. more linear than, than that. So... I mean, I, th I think the advice that I would give is actually just kind of ventriloquizing advice I think you would give that I've heard you say, actually. Oh, no. Um, those kind of content courses. I think people like us, especially you and I, Katie, are very sort of organized and we have plans and we have specific bullets we're trying to get through and we know what we want to accomplish. But I also think we're courageous enough to be flexible in our classrooms and know that when students throw us things, we can respond and sometimes the content won't let you respond as flexibly but i think even in those moments you can narrate that exact thing that's happening like oh this question that's coming up could take us in an interesting way or but we really have to transition because of this content thing we have to cover today but hey maybe and then there's a moment maybe where you can invite them and, and again i'm taking this from you katie i think you've been really good about trying to figure out how the content pieces in your class can be couched through specific topics that speak to your students. Like we we're just talking about Elon Musk and you know taxes and tax evasion versus tax sheltering. And you know that there are a lot of different ways that you can do that to make that relevant to your students' lives. And so just trying right. to find those moments where those can exist. That's really yeah, interesting. So, I, I, I think that that's probably exactly right. I don't teach one, I teach a class more like you, Miranda, where, um, the, the, the content is very flexible. We can go in a lot of different directions and still achieve learning outcomes. Uh, but these other kinds of classes, a lot of the STEM type classes um, do have more of this linear progression that, that they need to follow. Um, but one of the things we talk about with learning though, and you brought it up earlier, is this idea that we are learners in the classroom and we hear people talk about this. Yeah. But 
I mean, what does that really mean? What are we learning when yeah. we're in the classroom? And, and how does that impact what comes next in, in, in the way we teach? What does that what does that really mean for you? How, how do you how do you uh, see yourself as a learner in these situations? I think for me, um, I really this may sound silly and, and not everybody's going to think this is super exciting, but I have been really touched by Brene Brown's work in her sort of leadership series. And even though she's not directly talking about teaching, I feel like when she talks about leadership, she's talking about teaching. When we are teaching, we are leaders in our classroom. And I love the fact that she talks about leading with vulnerability. And for me, that's what being a learner is, right? One of the key things that she talks about in Dare to Lead is this idea that if we're gonna rumble with difficult ideas and we're gonna do difficult things and take on complexity, we have to be willing to let go of the armor that we use to protect ourselves. And usually we're using it because we're afraid. We're afraid of going in a direction that we hadn't anticipated. We're afraid of you know, being caught off guard or not having the answer or our students seeing us as not being expert in a particular moment. And our students have a lot of fear too and use a lot of armor to protect themselves because they don't wanna be caught out as not being smart enough, not being good enough, somehow being less than their peer. And so for me, that's the big distinction I think between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. The growth mindset is willing to be vulnerable and say at any given moment, I am willing to learn from what's happening right in front of me and I'm willing to confess what I don't know. And I'm willing to take on a challenge of a thing that might scare me a little, but I know I'll grow from tackling it. Um, whereas the fixed mindset feels like, oh, challenge is scary because I might get caught out for not yeah. being expert. So I try to model in my classroom when I say I'm a learner, I am always trying to model for them and show them and narrate for them and admit to them things I don't know. And then and especially when they're, when it's exciting, like I hadn't, like they'll ask a question. I hadn't thought about it from that direction before. Tell me more why you're asking that question. Cause I want to learn how to come at this and I'm not scared of it. And the more we do that, the more we show our students <laughs> in our classrooms how not to be afraid to admit things that they don't know or be willing to be vulnerable because that's where the challenge and the growth can come from. So Miranda, that's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I've had the opportunity to watch you teach, which is super cool. And one of the things that you and I have talked about through that experience, but just in general has been um, how to approach, you talk about a growth mindset with students, but I think that what you're talking about also translates into teaching topics or teaching subjects that could create vulnerability in students. I think about this in terms of um, equity and justice in particular. And this is a big topic right now that a few of us are, are really trying hard to instate into our classroom in some capacity, but, but a lot of us have this sense of, I don't want to feel vulnerable in the classroom. Can you talk in general, if you want to bring up the example you and I have um, yeah. have seen together, you're welcome to do that. But, but of how you can translate that into, into speaking up about tough issues, I would say. This, you know, it reminds me, I just had, in fact, I just had another observer come to my class last week on Thursday. Um, and she made a kind of similar comment to one of the comments that, that you made. And that comes up a lot when people come to my classroom, they always say, wow, I'm just so surprised by how much community there is in this class. Everybody's talking, everybody's engaging, like, how are you doing that? And I, I really go back to Bell Hooks here in um, Teaching to Transgress. One of the things that I think is tricky and so beautiful that Bell Hooks does is talk about a safe space. And she says very quickly, creating a safe space, like, yes, we can all agree. We should create safe spaces in our classroom. And she's like, safe space does not mean that you shy away from difficult conversations where you come at issues through and you understand and you identify issues of race 
and class and gender and things that are difficult. If we pretend that safe space means just don't make anybody uncomfortable, right. we're never going to meet our teaching mission. And so again, that's where like the bell hooks and the Brene Brown really worked together in my brain to say. Well, and, and, and Hooks definitely talks about you have to be brave in, yeah. in those spaces. I exactly. mean, if she didn't maybe, I don't think she coined the term brave space, but um, she talked about it yeah. for sure. She talks about bravery and courage and uh, right, that's the willingness to transgress to transgress what makes us comfortable. Um, and so I think that the thing that I try to do, and so Katie, to your, um, the day that you came to visit, we were talking about um, issues of legacies of slavery yeah. um, and racial-based slavery that's actually uh, kind of in between the lines in a Harry Potter novel. Yeah, I was gonna say in context, we were reading Harry Potter <laughs> during yeah, that we class, the which was super cool. And to me, there were two layers there. I told you before you came, I had never taught this particular novel in this way before, and I was scared for two reasons. One, I was scared because we we're gonna take on a really complicated issue about legacies of slavery and legacies of systemic oppression. Those are hard topics to talk about in any class for any reason. And we were gonna do it through the lens of Harry Potter, which most students have this really nostalgic attachment to. And I was about to take something that feels very safe for them and represents like probably for a lot of them a moment in their childhood or movies that they enjoy and kind of flip it on its head and make it uncomfortable. And the only way that I know how to do that is to start from day one of my class, building a community of learners who feel vulnerable together, who are admitting, who are willing to admit that we're not gonna get it right. We may say offensive things by accident. We may hurt one another's feelings. We may be scared of showing things that we don't know or that we're not experts of, but that we're gonna be generous with one another. We're gonna call each other out on those things in a way that is um, empathetic. And, but that helps us and calls us to be our best self. And the more we build that every single day, the more it allows for us to have, by the time you came, it was a kind of, I think eight weeks into the semester, six weeks into the semester. So we'd done a lot of building to get to that. Um, and then when a colleague came last week, uh, we were doing a kind of similar, we were talking about issues of sexual assault in a YA novel, um, which was a really difficult thing to talk about with a room full of you know, young men and women who are thinking about and, and, and not even aware sometimes how much we're surrounded by the threat of sexual violence um, in our culture. And so to talk about that through, a, again, a young adult novel was a scary thing to do, but my students were able to rumble with those ideas because they felt that we had built not a quote safe space where we don't talk about things that make us uncomfortable, but in fact, a community of learners where we tackle difficult ideas and we help each other to do it and then leave excited by how it challenged us and like i would say if you if you don't get a little bit scared in this class you're not doing the work that so uh, i i saw you teach oh years ago right now really eight years, years ago yeah. and one of the things that struck me even even back in in, the, in that guy that time is how well you would scaffold the learning in a class yeah. and uh what 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 i'm hearing right now is you're scaffolding to the point that you've got a community of learners. And that's a really interesting thing because that 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 is not in the learning objectives of the class. That is a, that is a uh, collateral effort. Yeah. And I'm wondering kind of what are some of those initial steps that you take? What are some you know what are some ways that you kind of manage to get to the place yeah. of a community of learners? I I love talking about this because to me, it's one of the most important things I do. Like, I feel like we can't get to the learning outcomes in my class, which are things like learning how to read critically, 
learning how to write critical, analytical, persuasive arguments, learning how to work carefully with details. Like those are the specific heuristics and learning outcomes of the course. But we can't do that kind of work until we do what you just said, Michael, which is scaffold that collateral and that really communal. We're working together collaboratively to create the space that allows us to do that kind of work and to do it with very difficult texts and very difficult topics. And so I, I work really intentionally to create that communal experience. And it starts with very little things, um, especially from very early on. One thing I do that's a very tiny thing, and it works in my context, it would probably not work in everybody's because I teach smaller classes because they're writing intensive and there's a lot of writing feedback. My classes are usually capped between 25 and 30 students. So it's this is gonna be an easier thing to do, but every time a student contributes anything in my class, I always call them by name. I always respond to them by name. Like, wow, that was a great point, Gail. And then if another student makes a point that has some kind of connection or correlation, I'll be like, wow, you know, Jacob, that, that really seems to tail nicely with what Gail just said. The more I do that, they start calling each other out by name. So that by the time we get to the third, fourth week of the semester, without me even doing anything, they're saying like, hey, what, you know, what Gail just said, I was thinking, or to go off what Jacob just said, and the more they do that, they are, they're building those bonds with each other and not even recognizing that that's what they're doing to create that safe space that makes them feel like they know each other and they're knowable to each other and they see each other yeah. and I see them. Definitely. Um, so I'm going to take this in a little bit of a different direction, if you don't mind, because this is super cool. And I'm really excited, I think myself to, to think about this even today when I'm going into a class in a couple hours not quite sure exactly what I'm going to say to my students. It's empowering. But I, I would like to know if you're comfortable answering this, when this situation, when this approach or if an, an approaching class, it doesn't have to be this exact one, has maybe taken things in a direction you didn't want it to go. So the people who come onto this podcast are transformative teachers. But I think an important thing to acknowledge in our successes is also a time when we have felt vulnerable in a class or we tried something and it really... Um, maybe wasn't the direction we intended it to go. So are you comfortable sharing an anecdote to that end? Um, yes. I mean, first of all, I would say there's not a day that I walk into my classroom that I don't feel vulnerable. Totally. Um, because I don't allow myself to sort of script so much what we're doing. Again, I have sort of like road signs and like directions in mind, but then I let my students, and that's scary because they're steering as much as I am. Do you get nervous on the first day of school? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I get the jitters all the time. Me Even too. Thank in, you. In, you know, we're in week 12 now of the yeah. semester and my class is super bonded and I couldn't have asked for a more communal space. And still, every day when <laughs> I walk in, I get nervous. I got nervous yesterday walking in because yeah. we're going to talk about um, police brutality and we were going to talk about Blue Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, which can get really charged. You know, so I get scared. Yeah. Like, but I'm willing to put myself out there and I'm willing to show them that I feel vulnerable. Yes. That that's, okay. that's such an important um, thing to acknowledge. And when you say, like, can you think of an anecdote? Actually, what comes to my mind is not a specific one. It's an entire semester. Sure. Um, I love and it. It was actually at the Kelly LLC. We were doing a class <laughs> yeah. um, leading up to the election. Can you give uh, a little bit more context for what that class is like? Michael and yeah. I know this, um, what this yeah. class is for, how it is. But... It's called Hot Topics in Business. <clears throat> right. And I guess I leaned in a little heavily into the hot part of Hot Topics. And so the course that I designed was called um, uh, uh, Politispeak. Uh, it was election rhetoric around the election of uh, this, the, the, this election before last, the election where- 2016. Trump, yes, 2016. Yeah. 
Um, and my that was that was a, that was a hot election. <laughs> yeah, it was. And this is freshmen Ooh. in a living learning center. That's right. Yeah. Built around a business school. I'm just trying to contextualize this because, like I said, Michael and I are like, oh, yeah, we know this. But I'm so glad you did because those are important details and I kind of forget because I just throw myself Totally. I hear you. This boiling pot. Of, and, and so the whole point behind this course for me was let's talk about the business interests and the way they get talked about in the election rhetoric leading up to the election. So we talked about uh, three specific things. Uh, RIFRA, right, the Religious uh, Act. Um, I don't know if you want to give more context there, Michael. I'm sure you can define it even more kind of concretely than I can. Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Yes, but like that was, yeah, that, the, the, the one in Indiana where um, basi basically uh, I think it allowed business organizations to opt out of providing services or or yes. even allowing people to, to, to shop in their place of business uh, based right. on religious um, their religious beliefs. Objections, right? So you yeah. object to making yeah. a wedding cake. Yeah. Or a gay couple. That was like the, yeah. one of the premier sort of examples. So we did a third, you know, a big unit on that, and then we did a big unit on um, immigration discussions and around labor practices. Oh, uh, you were not afraid. So I was leaning into, and then we, and then we ended with um, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter yeah. and um, issues around representations. We really took on questions like Black Twitter. And, you know, where do voices and what spaces do voices have and does it matter what the identities are and how do those things work to drive the way that we talk about politics? And so, of course, as all of this is happening, um, you know, this is as uh, uh, eventual President Trump's rhetoric was getting more and more heated about, you know, rapists coming from Mexico. And, and so we're taking up these issues in the class. And so every single day I went in terrified because there would be a brand new hot take that had just come out five minutes before class started. We had to talk about it. I had committed to the fact that we were going to have this space and we were going to deal, frankly, with very difficult things. And I was really scared, especially because I had only a small number of students of color in a class where a lot of students were trying to struggle with these difficult topics, but often using language and metaphors and examples that they themselves didn't realize were so sometimes deeply offensive um, demonstrated a real lack of understanding and empathy for people who might be affected by these different phrases and to unpack that in a way that was compassionate to everyone in that room. And that was my challenge, right? I need to be as compassionate to the person who is speaking from a place of ignorance um, and not even realizing some of the language that they're using as I'm also being compassionate to the student who I'm seeing flinch at what's being said by the colleague sitting next to them and do it in a way that shames no one so that we can all walk away. That class, I remember almost every single day I would come home from work and I would just lay down, I would drop my bags when I walked in the front door and just lay on the floor <laughs> and just take deep breaths because wow. it was so difficult. And I, I don't think I did it perfect. Every day I felt like I was doing good work and also failing at the exact so, same That's time. so hard. I mean, you've got microaggressions right and left. Nothing you've right. got... You've got you've got the racial battle fatigue <laughs> issue going on, um, but then you and then in, 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 you know you're on a college campus uh, and and just like it, it's a microcosm of society, we've got the full gamut of political beliefs, yep. <laughs> left, right, center, and and boy, it's uh, I can't imagine that class. You like purposely purposely set up this class in a way that you must have been absolutely exhausted <laughs> i was i was insane and i think i realized one of the things i realized through that was i still believe in the idealism with which i created the class which was that i felt like to be 
um, and knowledgeable voters. We all, and it was important on a campus to have a conversation to create a space where we could talk about those things. Um, but I realized in hindsight, I wasn't prepared for the emotional work I was going to have to do to be the learner, but also the sort of like protector and helper and guider through yeah. all those different, I had to wear a lot of hats in that class. How, how did, how did, uh, so I don't usually talk about student feedback uh, on this too much, not too much, but how did the feedback turn out on that class? I was, um, you don't stuck. have to answer if you don't want it. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm actually excited to, I'm happy to, because I was, so, I, I was prepared for those to be some of the most difficult evaluations I thought I was ever going to have to read. Um, it was two sections that I taught 30 students in each section. Um, I was prepared for it to be a, a hardcore session. Um, I was surprised when I came out of it, how many students wrote on the evaluations that they felt, um, challenged and pushed, but also exhilarated. And that they felt, I remember one specific, one specific comment saying, I've never understood systemic injustice before, and now I get it. And when I am, when I default to blaming someone or something for an issue, my new impulse is to ask what the system is that created the problem. And I thought, if I only, if that is, if only one student can say that out of the 60 that I taught, I've okay. done something. And it was more than just one student who had some kind of version of that. Frame that comment. <laughs> seriously, it's yeah, one of those seriously. motivators, right? That you go, okay. Goal of higher education, to be able to go become a, a, a you know meaningful contributor in society in a way that respects everybody in society. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Totally <laughs> true. It's part of our job. It is. It is, for sure. Miranda, I can't believe I'm saying this but we're close to the end of our time here. It went very fast. They all do. This one went very fast. I feel like we could talk ever and ever and ever about this. Um, as we're recording this, we're in the middle-ish of week. It's hump day. It's Wednesday. The middle of week 12 in the semester, we have Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks where everybody, including faculty, forget about that they have a job for a week. And then we come back <laughs> and it's like basically finals. So what I want to know, I know I'm planning my spring semester classes right now, trying to think about um, regrouping, typing notes frantically about what happened um, this semester so I can make this class that I'm teaching right now better in the fall. And I want to know what you're looking forward to in the spring based on what you've done this fall. So what sort of thing were you like, this is awesome. I don't think I can do it this semester, but it doesn't even have to be teaching or classroom specific teaching as Michael and I talk about all the time goes so far beyond the classroom. So. Yeah. I think one of the things um, I'm the most excited about if I go in a slightly different direction sure. um, with your question, we've talked a lot about my teaching in the classroom, which is incredibly important to me, but a big part of my mission of teaching is teaching graduate students uh, to be instructors of their own courses. And yes. so every semester I get really excited to look ahead to think about the kinds of programming that I can create, the kind of professional development opportunities that I can create to continue to support them. Because I feel like the more I do to support the graduate student instructors, it not only helps them as future teachers, but it helps every one of the students who are in their classes. And so next semester, I'm looking ahead to some of the professional development opportunities that I'm starting to kind of coalesce and pull together around like how to lead difficult conversations, um, how to even like we just did one that I loved on um, how to work on teaching focused CVs. Oh. Um, so finding ways to help my instructors talk about their teaching in ways that empower them as they continue to grow as teachers. Is there any 
one component of that that you're most excited about? I know all of them are important, but is there anything that you're like, yeah, I can't wait for that one. Or I'm going to plan it now because it sounds fun. The thing that I'm the most excited about is um, I, every summer now, this, this will be the third summer in a row, um, I do a writing course development institute for oh. the graduate students. And it's modeled on what we do here on the IUB campus with CEDL for mm -hmm. faculty. But this is specific to designing courses that have writing outcomes. Um, and so we're doing some revamping of that this summer to make it even more active learning, flipped learning model for the graduate students so that they get a chance to work through some things. In fact, I, I rely heavily on the um, teaching for student success modules that FACET has created and it has uh, available through expand.iu. Uh, um, so students work through some of those modules and then create materials and then come into the writing course development. It's a week long thing that we do kind of like nine to noon each day. Um, and I'm really excited to make that even more active learning based for them than it has even been in the past. That's I, want, I was no, literally, you read my mind. I was going to do the <laughs> shout out to expand because as you were talking, but I, I will also want to do another shout out for that series, that, that series. And um, Kate Goldstein, who was a co-author co of that in our DEIJ modules, uh, there is a particular page on safe and brave spaces, and it is fantastic. Uh, there's a whole... Uh, handout, a lengthy handout about how to how to get to a brave space in, in a course. So shout out to Kate uh, for that. And wow, this was an awesome conversation, Miranda. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I know. I know you like to wrap it up for us, but uh, I'll, I'll. You I'll, can I'll do it, Michael. Know. You're you're a, a co-partner on this podcast. <laughs> you can wrap it up. Thank you so you're much, Miranda. Just making the podcast. You're making it with us, Michael. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> hey, produced today so far by me also, Galen. Way to go, Katie. Galen will come back and edit this for us, which I'm really excited about. He continues to do fantastic work for us. And yes. one final shout out on the Bloomington campus, Bassett um, class of 19 through 2022 is going to get some recognition in a couple of weeks. So that's really exciting at the provost level. So attend that if you haven't forgotten about the semester after Thanksgiving. Miranda, thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. Have a great day.